0: Today is Saturday, January 9th, and you are um, at the City Council Budget Work Session. And wanted to welcome everyone, typically we do this breakfast on a budget with the community members present, and have a little time to uh, just have some discussions with council and and mingle among the community. And we're missing that this year here at City Hall. So. Um, but nevertheless, we're gonna jump right into the budget. Just a few housekeeping things to remind people about is we'll have um, presentations from different um, departments within the uh, city. And we are scheduled for a few breaks and some lunches, which there is no definite time. We're gonna to have to fill our way through this um, agenda and counselors um, my assumption is around uh, 10-ish, and we'll have some type of a break around the 10 o'clock hour, um, and we can decide if we want 5, 7, 10 minutes, and then around noonish we'll try to figure out a time for lunch. And <clears throat> my propose, uh, depending on how we're feeling, maybe a 30-minute break there. So we'll just kind of think about how you're feeling about things, and as a, a team together, we'll decide that. We're gonna start with the introduction of our city manager. I wanted to welcome uh, Jeff Rowan and open us up please with the budget for 2022.
1: Uh, Thank you, Mayor, and and thank you, Council. I appreciate uh, your time this morning, especially on a weekend. Uh, It's a long day, so my remarks will be uh, kept really brief and we'll jump into the presentation Um, But I just want to acknowledge, um, one, um, the staff work that went into um, preparing the budget document and and getting ready for the presentations today. Staff's really been working on this budget since August, and uh, it's a a good feeling to be here today to be able to to present it to you. Um, It is a long day, and there's probably going to be lots of um, topics that you want to jump into. Um, I would urge you to ask questions as we go along, and then you all are going to kind of have to gauge how deep you want to get into particular issues today uh, versus uh, uh, reserving some work session time in the future to dive deeper into any topics that you may want to. So I'd just uh, keep that in mind, especially uh, early in the, in the morning here. And uh, with that, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Ashley Monroe, who's going to start the uh, budget presentation this year.
2: Kelly, can I have permission to share my screen?
3: Yeah, you should, but if you, I'll have Lily take a look at it. Oh, there you go. There we go. Uh, well, good morning, Council. I will be speaking for a while, and Rachel will continue to, to move us forward through the presentation. I'm Ashley Monroe, Assistant City Manager, and um, I get the pleasure of starting us off today. So um, as Jeff said, we began preparing for the budget um, in August or so this year. Um, We have a slide that I can't quite see it yet, but it talks about our uh, budget review schedule So um, we began earlier this summer. Council held a work session in September to review your budget priorities. Um, Using that, we put together and assembled the proposed budget that we'll be talking about today. Uh, Tuesday, you had a presentation of our capital improvements plan. And um, we're, of course, here in our review this morning. Something for the operating budget review. Um, A couple of dates that we need to keep in mind. um, We need to set the public hearing for our our maximum property tax levy on February 2nd. So we'll need to have a good idea of what that maximum property tax levy will be uh, by the end of the month when we prepare the packet uh, for the February 2nd meeting. Um, That was a, in addition in the last couple of years that the state legislature uh, requires of us to hold an extra public hearing for that purpose. Um, we'll also need to know what the the total expenditures of our, of our budget will be um, by March 2nd. So we'll be holding another public hearing on the budget on that date. And uh, therefore we'll need to continue to make discussion have discussions and make decisions on what our expenditures within our operating budget um, and the capital improvements plan by that, by that time uh, towards the end of February when we're preparing the packets again. So, and of course, uh, we'll need to certify the budget with the county auditor by the end of March on the 31st. So, in your budget document, uh, there's a couple of areas of focus. Um, Predominantly, what we'll be talking about today in the presentation is in the transmittal letter, so that executive summary, uh, those are pages 9 to 27. Um, We also, in the budget, a couple of points of interest might be our, our fund structure. I'll walk through that chart next. Um, we have our financial and fiscal policies, and uh, of course the general fund summary. So um, you can see all the, the pertaining page numbers there. I'll hit on a, our major funds. So those are highlighted in, in yellow um, on your screen. We'll start with those budgetary funds, including the general fund. So when you think about our operations that are funded in from the general fund, um, they they make up the great majority of the things that we do with the city, um, but not all. And um, fund things like our parks and recreation, fire, police services, uh, the city manager's office, finance. Um, the special revenue funds are project specific, so those are funds that are going to be dedicated specifically to the to projects. So. We'll take in the revenues uh, from, for example, the road use tax, and those funds are applied directly back into road surface improvements. Uh, Community development block grant funding, so that's CDBG, the one on top, um, those funds are directed right back into affordable housing and economic development programs for the federal CDBG program. Our debt service fund it is just that it repays the, any money that we've borrowed plus interest. So those, those funds service those debts. The enterprise funds moving along in the co- in the in the column there. Um, those are more. They operate more like a business than than the other funds in in the fact that any service charges and fees that we may take in. Route for those services are put right back into the operation of those services. So our our parking and transit, you pay a water bill, and you know, our, our water bills are paid. Those bills directly pay for all of the operations within our, our water department and water services. Our capital projects fund, of course, they, I mentioned that we met about that on Tuesday. And that projects fund services those major infrastructure-type projects for the city. And then finally, the non-budgetary fund listed is our internal service funds. Um, those are simply internal operations that service and, and improve services for the things that we do on an external basis. So um, we have city vehicles, and so our equipment fund is... Is paid into by our various departments that use those vehicles, and and that is, you know, what what makes up that that fund. You know, other things include our health insurance fund, dental insurance, um, information technology services, so things that we need and require internally um, and pay into to operate those departments or divisions. Okay, we'll move on to the next thing. COVID nineteen. Um, clearly, this year was we experienced kind of unforeseen circumstances, and therefore um, we've had to make adjustments all throughout the year uh, because we've had you know lagging revenue levels. Um, you heard. But several times late last year about the impacts we had to our parking fund specifically. Um, there was a sharp decline in local development, so we'll talk a little bit more about the impacts on that taxable growth later. Um, there's been uncertainty over the pace by which these things can return and recover to normal. Um, you know, normal at this point, um, or if they're going to stagnate, and and we're not going to see that that pace of recovery that we would we would hope for um, over the longer term. And then finally, we recognize that you know, our households, our businesses, our nonprofits, um, you know, they're financially strained, and so we've had to to make adjustments in this past year, and we would anticipate that we will do so going forward. A couple of the things that we took action on and council took action on this year were um to make a couple of different cuts. The pandemic began when we were still um in the fiscal year 20 budget. Uh, and so we made a $1.5 million spending cut during that time. We made an additional $3.7 million spending cut in this budget year. So we're our, our current budget year. We froze the hiring of six positions that were approved in that fiscal 21 budget. Um, Those were new staff additions, so we did transition um, the temporary positions to to permanent status, uh, but left some of these brand new positions open and unfilled. Council delayed the water rate increase that was supposed to take place on July 1st. And we also, as part of the, the support for our residents was suspending water shutoffs and delinquency fees Um, We expanded the utility assistance program and then the mayor just recently uh, delayed that that water rate increase further until July 1st of this this year now. And finally, there were numerous COVID relief programs in place, so both local and federal funds were provided uh, throughout the community for our households and our businesses and social service agencies. Talking about this year in, in our fiscal year 22, so how are we planning for this? Um, A big goal of our budget was just simply to get back to where um, we had approved the budget in fiscal year 21. So uh, when we adopted that last year, that's what we were shooting for here. There's a modest decrease in our city property tax rate, so that's 10 cents from the debt service levy. We're not adding any new fees or rate increases this year. We prioritize um, the filling of those six um, authorized but unfilled positions, and then are recommending an increase of three full-time equivalent positions in this year. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then we're going to continue to both um, use the, the federal, state, local funds to provide additional relief to our households, our businesses, social service agencies, and continue our investments in our strategic and master plans. So I get the privilege of of talking us through our our strategic plan initiatives and and what we've done um, this year on an organizational wide basis. Many of these things are going to continue to be a focus of of the city and of council um, in the upcoming year and so we thought it would be good to, to talk about where we're coming from. So um, starting with climate action, we've got a 24-cent emergency property tax levy. We did levy this amount, the same amount last year. It garners about $1 million. And those funds directly support the projects, programs, and implementation efforts of of our plan, so our climate action and adaptation plan, and then that follow-up report last year, which identifies specific projects. So we still have the same goals to address our carbon emissions reduction. And a couple of ways that we've done that are um, to add an annual climate fest. It's a good way to get our residents involved and our community involved in in this effort. Um, We've got our Root for Trees program that we began this year. That's a a rebate program for tree plantings, um, helping support. supplement our city's tree planting efforts, and we continue to want to ramp up those efforts. Uh, we completed our methane study. That was a major task uh, looking forward, and you'll see more about that in the coming year. Um, and, of course, continuing our our new energy efficiency grant programs. Uh, we've done a lot with a very small staff. Um, it has remained largely unfilled, um, or, or un not quite fully staffed for this part of the year. We're hoping to change that soon. And just wanna recognize um, the amount of things that have been accomplished, but not alone. Um, Many of our departments are contributing to the climate action initiatives and efforts. Um, For example, our Parks and Recreation Division, our department planted approximately 60 acres of new prairie thanks to council's approval. this year and, and so we're going to do that and work collaboratively throughout the organization for further improvements. So in this year, we're, we're working on that momentum. We're continuing those projects uh, that we began this year. We're looking at additional new ways to expand into the community for partnerships on energy efficiency, um, reducing emissions and, and other you know, th- things that we can do to, to reach our goals. We're doing some city projects, so LED replacements or or HVAC type facility initiatives, solar uh, applications, and then uh, continuing some of these ongoing community efforts. We'll talk about uh, social justice and racial equity. This addresses your strategic plan item um, to um, enable. You know, social justice and and empower human rights. Um, in fiscal year 2021, council applied a one million dollar um, fund for social justice and racial equity initiatives as part of your June resolution and the truth and reconciliation budget. Will, will come out of this money. Um, they'll also be, that commission specifically will be addressing what you should do with that that million dollars to help support um, Black Lives Matter and reducing and, and eliminating systemic racism in our community. We'll also be expanding community partnerships and, and trainings. We've done some of that already this year and look to expand on those on those opportunities. The social justice and racial equity grant program, councils approved uh, $75,000 for the last couple of years and we're continuing that in this budget. Um, we're also expanding, of course, our translated city materials, council keyed in on that in our last, um, in your last meeting on the policing plan and we anticipate doing more of that. Um, the Office of Equity and Human Rights has uh, asked for a year-round intern position. Um, that specifically will supplement um, more opportunities for us to put on events and trainings in the community and uh, help with awareness efforts. And then uh, we have a couple of new opportunities, and we've reallocated funds to accelerate community policing. Um, one example of this expanded nonprofit partnership would be something like the shelter house agreement you, you just recently approved, uh, to support homeless services by an outside agency, um, that, that is doing that work in the community rather than a sworn police officer. Um, we also, I'll note our, um, two or a couple of positions that we'll be talking more about, um, those being a new halftime civilian immigrant and refugee outreach position. So we have one full-time uh, community outreach assistant position in the police department. This position will be halftime and specifically dedicated towards uh, the immigrant and refugee populations. Uh, the civilian supervisor will assist with um, kind of that com- continuum of, of response, as was pro- was proposed in the policing plan, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, as well as a civilian public safety communications position that would be housing the communications office, um, supplementing the work for citywide, but trained specifically in uh, police and fire, uh, public information and communications. So we'll have another slide here. Um, Council's really been dedicated to, in the last couple of years, um, in getting our minimum wage up to $15 per hour. So the cost for for that, to do that this year um, is $416,000 in fiscal year 22. Um, this is the year that that happens. So I wanna thank council for just having the forethought and, and um, in setting this goal years ago. Um, it took us steps throughout the last couple of budgets to um, get to this amount and um, Although the numbers speak for themselves, it's a it's a high dollar investment. Um, it's long term. Uh, you know, you've you've made that happen, and and that's exciting. Uh, and uh, let's see. I'll. I think that's it for this one. Okay, uh, we've experienced a lot of. Um, discussion in the last year about our social service agencies. We have an Aid to Agencies grant program to support those things. Um, After several years of sort of flat um, increases, Council recently made a one-time infusion of, of funding to support the Aid to Agencies program. And now we've set a new baseline moving forward for um, for additional allocations in, in the upcoming years. So you see here, we're recommending an increase from fiscal year 2021 into 2022 of 595,000. So that would be allocated this year. And um, I'll also note that in addition to these funds, um, and the experience of the pandemic, we've had COVID relief support direct to um, social service agencies and nonprofits in our community. This particular year, we've already uh, provided over four hundred thousand dollars in a relief to these nonprofit agencies that are that are providing support to our community. Um, at, you know, food assistance and um, homelessness prevention utility support, those those types of operations, childcare. All of those types of things are are supported with these funds here. I'll just check my notes. Okay, and the and the the details are here on, on the slide. Okay. Um talking about investments in affordable housing. So since fiscal year 2016, the city's invested approximately $9.2 million in affordable housing initiatives. So uh, the budget, can, this budget contains $1 million in general fund support for affordable housing for the third straight year. So over the last several years or so, um, council had increasingly made additional uh, contributions to the Affordable Housing Fund, and for the last three, we've contributed a million dollars. Um, the breakdown there is is identified, um, and I'll also just note that staff is preparing for your 2021 Affordable Housing Action Plan update. So um, that's going to kick off this month, and I'll I'll just note that if you break down. That nine point two million dollars. Uh, it says in here that that we've assisted five hundred and seven households or affordable units over that period of time. Um, the breakdown, just say so you no, know, is is eighteen thousand dollars a unit. So that's what our actual costs are for um, for each of those those activities. We'll move on to. Uh, Still discussing affordable housing. Um, we're trying not to rely solely upon general fund and federal dollars when it comes to affordable housing. So we're looking at other um, options for our revenue streams. So here they're listed, you know, we have several different fee and lieu options, um, that being specific to the riverfront crossings district. We have our TIF increment, or, you know, our, our tax increment fine, financing TIF fee and lieu negotiations, and our annexation policy fee and lieu negotiations. Um, we haven't collected on that annexation policy, but um, just noting that it's a possibility. And then uh, our recent examples include seven hundred fifty thousand dollars from Riverfront Crossings. We've got our Foster Road TIF. Um, that, as a reminder, is, is not the fee-in-lieu, but is uh, 45% of the tax revenues collected there are dedicated to affordable housing, and the remainder of that, uh, those collections go towards repayment payment of the, the road infrastructure. Uh, and then finally, in the tailwinds development, it's it's upcoming. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but there's an anticipated fee-in-lieu of $1.8 million. OK. Investments in roads. Everybody likes to talk about these things, especially in the spring. These, this here is, um, an a demonstration of our overlays and our patching. So I'll talk about the, the bigger projects next. We have equipment replacement funds to help the Streets Division improve our efficiency, effectiveness. Um, And we have been, just based on need, a greater portion of our general obligation bonds that we take out are going towards our our capital needs on our our roads and resurfacing. A Couple of items of concern are just that, um, the increased fuel efficiency and low fuel prices lead to lead to at least a stagnation of funds collected in our road use tax. And then um, the tax is allocated by uh, population. And so an uncertainty with the census count um, may further impact any large increases that we, we could potentially see from this revenue source. Okay, uh, we'll talk about the major road improvements. So we've got uh, 2021, Upcoming, I'll highlight our Melrose Avenue improvements, Benton Street Rehabilitation Project and Orchard Street Reconstruction. Uh, We're planning, we're continuing to plan for 2022, uh, Rochester Avenue, the Gilbert Street Bridge replacement and Fairchild Street Reconstruction. And some of our, you know, very large roads to to the residents' relief and, and our community's relief um, include plans to, to redo Dubuque Street, court Dodge, North Gilbert Park and Taft. So some of these big collector areas, those, those are the roads that um, are largely reliant on general obligation bonds and federal funding. Um, they take a long time to plan for and put in place. And um, And I'll also note that our pavement plan so the things that we're doing both for the the overlays and, and patching as well as reconstruction, that plan is largely complete and staff is gonna set a schedule time to review with council in a work session. Um, Jeff will talk about that a little bit later. Okay. So along with the outside, uh, we're looking at our, our internal um, operations we need Structures and facilities to operate in. Um, I'll thank Council especially for uh, the recent investment in our public works facility. So, our streets building, you know, our staff and operations have greatly benefited from a a facility replacement. Um, The buildings that we replaced and moved out of were, you know, going on 40, 50 years old and just don't have sufficient. sufficient resources there they were built decades ago and they no longer meet our our facility needs um, those needs are also present in other areas of our operations um, some of the things that we list on the slide here for example of our our transit facility you know if we if we build a new police department we're relocating fire stations, or require a greater amount of space for those, and some of our recreation centers. We've got the recreation and aquatics facility planning study coming up, and these funds address exactly that. While this um, this balance that we are estimating of nine million dollars seems like quite a bit, um, you know, it's it doesn't meet all of our needs. Um, We, when you think about the transit facility, potentially costing up to about $20 million, um, we're looking at a a need for facility replacement and improvements in the tens of millions of dollars. So this is a really good start, but um, just addressing that we're thankful for what we've had so far, but a lot of work is yet to come. Okay, Uh, master plan, Mark Park's master plan implementation. Um, Julie reviewed quite a bit of these things in on Tuesday. I won't go into detail with all of the upcoming improvements, but um, just know that we're continuing to um, to address all of our, our, our identified projects within our implementation plans. So we're moving along here. Talk about um, bikes our bike master plan. And, um, we, as Kent mentioned too, he ran through a couple of projects on Tuesday, but I'll highlight a few. Um, we're planning those bike lanes on, you know, Benton street specifically Southgate Avenue. Uh, there's a plan for, um, kind of a, a navigation around Muscatine Avenue uh, in the, the surrounding neighborhoods that that accounts for that uh, notation there. Bike Boulevard, so areas where they'll be signed, um, preferred routes for, for For residents will include areas in Bower Prentice, where um, South District, Sandusky-Taylor Burns, and uh, some others that are are included there. One not noted here is uh, the Jefferson, Glendale, and Heather area uh, that'll also have a bike boulevard included. Uh, I'll note the Keokuk four to three lane conversion and the Highway 6 pedestrian trails that are planned. I know that the city had planned to apply for a gold status or a gold designation for as a bicycle friendly community with the League of American Bicyclists. Um, Due to the pandemic for various reasons, that wasn't quite, that we weren't quite ready at that point. So um, we plan to apply again this August, uh, which is pretty exciting. And if we get that, we'll be the first city in Iowa to have that, that gold, um, bike friendly designation um, we'll touch on the recommended staff this is the last thing i have for you now um, last year in 2021 budget we added more staff than than we have you know in years um, that included 15.9 full-time equivalents, but um, those, those included both new positions as well as um, the temporary status employees to permanent conversions. So um, not quite half or so of those positions new um, were, were those temporary conversions. Um, and so of course we still have those six positions that are, that are left unfilled. We've increased the the minimum wage up to the $15 per hour. So that's a benefit for for our temporary staff. And then I'll just review the the recommended additions for core staff support. So as I mentioned earlier, um, when discussing the social justice and racial equity initiatives and our our plans, um, those included a couple of positions that being the public safety communication specialist, As I said, it will support and be housed in the city manager's office as um, support for the communications division citywide, but a good portion, the majority of that portion of that work is gonna be focused on public safety, um, including fire uh, department and police um, and acting as the the public information officer for those divisions and offering um, digital platform support and other messaging um, messaging help. So a civilian supervisor that will be in the police department. And as I said, it'll have a greater focus on that continuum of responses model. So a lot of the prevention work, the outreach and, and other engagement with our community partners as well as um, supervising um, our, our civilians. So um, Community outreach assistance, as I said, um, that'll be a half-time position, focused primarily on outreach with immigrant and refugee populations, and then the balance of those three full-time equivalents are one is a uh, 0.25 um, hours in our in our scale house, so support for landfill, and. Um, S- scheduling support and assisting with improvement in customer service levels. And the others uh, buyer one, uh, just making that into a full-time position in our equipment division. So as we expand our fleet um, and procurement, the complexity inventory, um, they need those hours to help support those efforts. So with that, I will turn it over to Rachel.
4: All right. Um, I'm sorry, Rachel, but I want to know, when should we ask questions?
1: You can, that's completely up to you as council. You can ask them now or wait till
0: the end.
4: Yeah, I would rather ask them now, if the mayor agree.
0: I I agree. If you have questions throughout, just go, feel free to answer or um, ask your questions.
4: Yeah, actually, I just would like to know the position that you say, like safety position. Is that a swearing officer or just like a public safety communication specialist? Is that like a swearing officer or just civilian positions?
3: No, all of the, that's a good question. All of the positions here are non are non-sworn positions. So none of them are, um, police officers currently, um, are per, currently specifically the police department and, and fire actually as well. The communications, the broad amount of communications put out from both police and fire departments are performed by those, those sworn personnel. So our firefighters or an, um, Uniformed officer, or sergeant, some something of that nature, um, a supervisor in those departments. Um, this position would be uh, removed from, you know, although they would have daily interactions, likely with those departments. They'd be removed from from any um, interpretation as a professional within those fields of police or fire, and providing communication support from the perspective of of a professional communicator um, at, with a knowledge of what police and fire do, you know, how how can we communicate about, you know, they can help provide support for press releases about fires uh, rather than waiting for the fire department to provide that information. They can also help provide support for public events and, and other notices. Um, any information that the police department may request be put out would be doing so without the um, sworn personnel being the ones to, to compile, compile that information and put it out to the public. We'd have a, a civilian person doing that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
2: Okay. If we don't have any other questions, thank you, Ashley. Um, my name is Rachel Kilberg. I am the assistant to the city manager. I am just going to take the next few slides to talk through uh, just some factors that we have to be aware of as we're going forward. So I'll talk a little bit about the 2013 property tax reform, um, of course, COVID uncertainties, especially when it comes to our development and taxable growth, and then just a couple of other expense items uh, that that fluctuate and are largely outside our control. Uh, So first, uh, next few slides are gonna relate to that 2013 property tax reform. Um, That continues to be phased in through 2024. Uh, And it's important to remember that there are several components to this tax reform. So one piece of it is that commercial property uh, used to be taxed at 100% of its value and that was rolled back to to 90%. Um, And that a portion of that is backfilled by the state. Well, in addition to that, multifamily units and apartments um, were previously taxed as commercial property at 100% of their value. Um, and at the same time, those those types of property were pulled out into their own separate property tax class, which you see on the screen here uh, called multi-residential. So they are taxed at a declining rate each year um, until they reach the residential rollback rate um, in 2024. So... Uh, that portion of it is not backfilled. So it is on the commercial side, but not on the multi residential side. And in fiscal year 22, that uh, taxable percentage for multi residential property will be uh, 67.5%. So that equates to about $2.8 million in lost property tax revenue just in fiscal year 2022 alone. So just for that one year. Um, if you want to think about it cumulatively, Since it was implemented in 2015, through the end of fiscal year 22, we expect that uh, loss to be over $11 million. And again, we're not receiving uh, any sort of backfill payment for that on the multi-residential side. So then looking at our residential rollback trend, um, and and when I'm saying rollback, that that just means uh, the taxable percentage of the property. So uh, residential properties aren't taxed at 100% of their assessed value. Uh, The state rolls that back. So that, that, that's what we call that rollback rate. Um, and that's, set, that's a number that's set annually by the state. We don't have control over it. Um, and it's, it's not specific to Iowa City. It's a statewide number. Um, and in fiscal year 22, it will be at about 56%. Um, you can see it has been much lower uh, in, in previous years. For example, in 2007, it was low as 44%. Uh, And the difference between a rollback rate of 44% and 56% uh, is pretty significant. Um, That actually equates to about $9.5 million. Uh, So that's that's a pretty good chunk of money. Uh, So moving on, just kind of pulling those last two slides together, uh, you can start to see that relationship here between the residential rollback rate and the multi-residential rollback rate. If you're looking at the top of the chart um, in fiscal year 2014, you see Before the property tax reform was implemented, multi-residential was taxed as commercial property at 100 percent of its value. Well, then in 2015 and the years following, you begin to see that multi-residential rate drop each year as it drops lower and lower, um, closer to that residential rate. So uh, at the bottom, then you can see our big question mark is obviously going to be in uh, fiscal year 2024. So that's why that's what we're referring to as a cliff, because. We don't know what the residential rollback rate will be in fiscal year 2024, uh, but whatever it is, the multi-residential rate will have to drop uh, enough to reach it. So on the residential side, you can see we've been pretty stable around a 55, 56% um, taxable percentage there. And even if it stays at that rate in 24, um, we'd still be looking at a seven to eight percent decrease on the multi-residential side. So much higher than the three to four percent decreases we've been seeing there uh, in the past few years. Um, and again, I just really want to point out too, as you're looking at this <clears throat> multi-residential column uh, and seeing that that taxable percentage drop from 100 percent down to the 63.75% it'll be in 23, um, we are not receiving any compensation from the state for that. So we're not getting backfill payments for this change to the uh, multi-residential tax classification. Um, The backfill payments that we are receiving are for the commercial property. So as a reminder, um, Part of the tax reform um, changed the taxability of commercial property from 100% of ta- of its value to 90 well 95 and then 90%. Um, so we the state does backfill a portion of that. Those backfill payments are about 1.5 million dollars annually. To put that into context, that is um, enough to fund about 15 of our full-time firefighter positions. So that uh, is a pretty good pretty good number for um, a, a city of our size. Uh, but as you know, the future of those backfill payments aren't certain. In the last few legislative sessions, there, has been, there have been discussion um, and, and different proposals about eliminating or phasing out these backfill payments. Um, so that's something that, that we'll just want to continue to monitor. Um, we have been preparing for that very real possibility of losing those payments. Um, things such as uh, the facility reserve fund, for example, that Ashley talked about earlier. So one of the things that actually has been helping us manage through the implementation of the uh, 2013 property tax reform has been um, just that over the past few years, we have seen some pretty incredible, uh, imp- incredible growth here. Uh, so it's important to remember that development translates to taxable value. So what you're looking at here, this building permit construction value, uh, that can be a pretty good indicator of what type of increases you'll see in assessed and taxable value in the coming assessment years. Um, so you can see, I'm, um, we were at a pretty high level the past few years, and we didn't really expect to, to stay at such a high level, but, um, it's clear that COVID really expedited that. So in the past three years, we were averaging around $213.7 million in building permit construction value. And that dropped to 87.3 million in 2020. So it's actually lower than that 2010, 2011, uh, range. And, the reason that this is just concerning is because we don't know what that recovery rate is going to look like um of course you hear you'll hear about it all day there's a lot of co- um COVID uncertainty so we aren't sure uh if if we'll stabilize around this 2020 2020 rate and then climb back up if um if development will continue to do, be depressed for several years uh, which would be pretty taxing on us we're just not really sure what that looks like um so We'll we'll be keeping our eye on this. One of the indicators that we'll be watching, especially, is commercial properties. Uh, They make make up a big chunk of this uh, construction value. Uh, For example, in 2019, the value of uh, commercial building permit construction value was about 85 million, and it was only 26 million in 2020. So um, that's a big chunk there. The student housing market uh, is another thing to watch. We've had some big recent additions there. recently and uh, there, that coupled with the fact that there will be continued COVID uncertainty about operations and remote learning uh, for the university. That just kind of brings on an additional concern about maybe a softened market there. So just a couple of different trends that we'll continue to watch. Mm-hmm. My right, so then we have variable costs. Um, So each year we have a couple of costs that fluctuate year to year, um, things that are largely outside of our control. These are two of our big ones. So obviously in any given year, it's pretty difficult for us to try to predict um, the frequency or severity of snow events. Um, uh, But that being said, when it snows, it snows. We have to plow the streets uh, no matter what those costs are. So um, you can see that our costs for snow and ice management have been higher in recent years than they have been previously. Uh, To kind of give you one example of just how those costs can add up, it costs the city about $25,000 each time we have to snow blow the downtown. And we have had to do that twice in the past two weeks. Um, So just to to give you a little context there. Uh, And then the other big um, kind of variable cost for us is our health insurance costs. Um, These, we don't have control over these costs, but they're obviously a necessary expense for our staffing levels. Um, And we have really seen uh, both our rates and our usage climb in recent years. Uh, We're paying about $3.5 million more today in health insurance costs than we were in 2017. Um, And one other thing I want to note here is that when we were preparing this budget, we had projected a 5% increase to our health insurance contribution rate uh, for fiscal year 2022. Um, since we've released this budget, we've actually learned that that increase is going to be much higher, actually closer to 15%. So um, we'll just continue to see to see these costs go up. And this is really important to consider when you think about uh, years like fiscal year 22, where we are trying to really build a status quo budget. Um, some of these costs, especially personnel costs, which I'll talk more about later, um, they're really outside our control in a lot of ways. Um, and and can make it difficult for uh, finding some flexibility there.
0: I did have a quick question about that. Um, when you talked about the 5 percent, it was kind of the anticipated, but 15 percent is the reality. Is that what I understood? Yep. And, yeah. And then I, I think I just heard you mention that you're going to cover what will be passed on to employees. Is that what um, I understood?
2: I, Sorry,
1: go ahead, Jeff. I can jump in on that one, Rachel. Um, the, um, the split between employees and um, employers all governed by our bargaining agreements. And then uh, non, our, our, our uh, management staff or our confidential staff, non-bargaining unit staff, um, uh, generally uh, have mirrored what the AFSCME contract is. So all that's governed by bargaining uh, agreements. Thank you.
4: I'm sorry to take oh. you back, but if you can, oh, are you done?
0: I'm done. Go right ahead.
4: Yeah. Uh, if you go back just to the commercials um, tax cut, uh, you know, well, yes. And you said that this has been uh, cut from 100% to 90% and we, we get some feel uh, like... Uh, fill back from them, but I guess when I ask you the 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 amount that we get from the state, is this like equal to the cut, less than the cut, more?
2: Uh, I don't have the exact number of what of what that difference is, but it's not um, it's not equivalent to to what that rollback rate is. It's just kind of a portion of it. So portion um, yep, of it. Yeah, okay. So in twenty fifteen, uh, yeah, in twenty fifteen, when it was starting to get rolled in, we were actually receiving. Um, Backfill payments at a much higher rate. I think over two million dollars. So now we're at about one point five million. Okay. Um, well, I just so could, oh, go ahead, Janice.
5: Um, I just wondered if someone with more history could um, could help me understand the rationale for the two thousand thirteen multi residential tax cuts that are now the 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 gift that's continuing to give. Um, was the was the theory behind it that That landlords would pass along the property tax savings to their tenants, um, and has any of that? If so, has any of that transpired?
1: Well, that may have been the theory. That was uh, the multi-residential piece was um, something that didn't get a lot of focus during that legislative session. It kind of snuck in there at the end, um, and. was a bit of a surprise at the end, and and clearly hits the college towns more than than your average community. Um, I think the you know the the rationale um, was I think alluded to what you said. You know, it's it's ultimately it's residential property. It should be the same as residential. They didn't view it as a kind of an income-producing commercial enterprise, um, but 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 clearly you know the the, the um, owners of multi-residential property are going to charge what the market will bring for, their, for, for, those, um, for those units and that has really no bearing on what the, what the taxability of the property is. So um, I don't know, I have not seen any studies on passing savings along to tenants, but I would be shocked if any such study could demonstrate that that actually happened
5: right so I all I wanted to do I mean it's not going to change anything is sort of make the point that this type of trickle-down uh, was aimed at the college towns it almost never produces anything in terms of affordability and we're stuck uh, we're stuck with that and tenants are stuck with that and it and it's uh, and it's a cost that we are fully having to bear I had a quick question about the the health care uh, uh, data, uh, Rachel, and uh, you said that it's, it's been increasing now. Is that that the employer contribution has had to go up, or is that that the, the use of healthcare benefits it has been increasing?
2: Actually, both. Yeah, we've seen uh, our usage climbing, uh, especially some higher dollar claims, um, more expensive, expensive specialty drugs, uh, and then in addition, we're seeing annual increases in our contribution rate. Thank you. OK, uh, if we don't have any other questions, uh, I believe Ashley will walk us through uh, um, some more detail on the revenue side then. OK,
3: I'm ready. All right, so we get to now see um, kind of the, pro- the proportions of what makes up the budget and, and our funding, uh, both our revenue sources and then Rachel will cover our expenditures. We'll start with our all funds revenue sources. Uh, this is showing a very simplified version of everything we take in. I'll just highlight the fact that um, you know you see property taxes is the, the greatest portion of that, followed by our uh, charges for services, our intergovernmental revenues. And I will uh, focus more specifically on, on the next slide on what each of those are. Um, we're heavily reliant on property taxes. So you see in our, in our general fund, I'll kind of describe what some of these are. Um, our general fund is predominantly property taxes. So that's 69% here. Um, we've got our, uh, charges for services, as you saw in the, the all funds, it makes up, um, uh, the second biggest part of that pie um that includes the program fees our our housing and building inspections animal care um you know that's that's also our our water our refuse and and recycling charges those things make up those those charges for services um in here in the general funds it's it's not those enterprise funds. It's not the water. It's not the the refuse. But these other for you know parks and recreation classes, those types of things. It's a very small piece of, of our general fund. The intergovernmental um, revenues uh, overall describes those those state and federal grant. Grants that we receive, but in our general fund, that seven percent and intergovernmental includes includes those state and federal grants. Um, our twenty-eight e agreements, so fire protection services agreements with the school district and other local governments, are are in the that piece there, seven uh, percent there. And then I'll just note that, um, you know, when when we think about these supplementary taxes collected, the hotel motel, for example, that's just a very, very tiny piece of our overall budget. So you see here, um, that 4% is kind of on the left lower corner includes the hotel motel and our utility franchise taxes and that's just 4% of our general fund. So in the overall big picture of our community, um, it's, it's a pretty small amount of our total budget. I'll talk about the property tax rate trends. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're proposing a ten cent decrease in the debt service levy to account for a drop in the total uh, levied tax rate from the city. Um, you see that the the rates, um, the rate, the property tax rate, we're anticipating will be fairly fairly flat. From here, we're not anticipating um, additional large declines in our in our rate as we had been able to do um, in the past several years. You see the progression of history. I'll describe the the red line kind of going from your left-hand screen to the right um, is our property tax rate. So um, we went from this this chart in particular shows a rate of $17.26, almost 27 cents, um, to our current um uh, and proposed rate of $15.67. So over this last almost 10 years, um city council has progressively and and aggressive rather aggressively reduced that property tax rate over time. And then the blue bars here are also demonstrating um the property. Ta- the taxable value. So even though we have had a declining property tax rate, the valuation of the taxable valuation of properties are continuing to increase. Um, we're not 100% that, that based on current economic conditions that will continue to, to elevate it at the rate that it has over this period of time. But um, we're pretty proud of the fact that we've been able to decrease the tax rate over the last decade. And and of course, he um, has counsel to, to thank for that. Um, I'll just note also that in odd years, those are our um, the reassessment years so um, as we're approaching this even year, um, the growth in that in that assessed property tax value is going to stay pretty, pretty even. Um, and as Rachel noted earlier, when we're talking about the development, um, if the city is not growing in that property, you know, the taxable value, um, we might even see that that valuation decline over time.
4: Okay. Can I ask a question here? Like, really, when when you say 10 cent decrease of the tax levy, mm-hmm. what that mean to the residents? Like, somebody I, like me, a homeowner, what that means to me? How much is it? If my home value is three hundred thousand,
3: that's a really good question, Mayor Pertem. Uh, I know we're going to cover that. Um, I believe we're gonna cover that right towards the end of the presentation. So we will definitely get to the individual property owner um, impacts if you can wait for that, great. Okay, Um, we'll talk about the overlapping tax rate. The only thing I wanna point out here is just that um, despite our, our portion, so we're 41% of a residence tax bill, uh, we're still less than half of, of that total tax bill. The other entities in our, in our tax rate or tax bill, the pe- thing that people see um, also comes from the Iowa City Community School District, Johnson County and a little teeny piece for, for Kirkwood in the state of Iowa. So we'll go to the overlapping rate trend. I'll just highlight um, the city of Iowa City is the yellow in the top portion of these bars you see across the screen. Um, And it's just showing that the portion or the proportion of our our piece of that overlapping tax rate um, has continued to reduce. So we've gone from about 44% of that tax bill to approximately 41% of this overlapping tax bill. And then that that blue line kind of shows our, our percent of that total of taxes collected. Okay, how do we compare throughout the state? Um, you see here, um, where we stand in in the total amount levied for our current rates, and uh, in comparison to what had been levied back in 2012, so um, I referenced over the past decade, this is the progress we've made. Um, you see here, we've had a 11 and a half percent change in in a decline in our property tax rate. Um, we've got our way from somewhere towards the top of that pack to towards the middle. Um, we anticipate that based on other community circumstances, we may continue to see ourselves fall within this, this kind of ranking of, of total tax levy. Um, we've, we've dropped below Davenport as well as Des Moines and, um, anticipate we could potentially see a drop below Cedar Rapids as well over the next year or so, uh, based on their uh, council's decisions. So let's see, major revenue sources. So we've got our hotel motel. Um, We talked about, although this is a small portion of our general fund, it's still important to kind of look at that fluctuation since since they're an important part of our community. Fiscal year nineteen, you see that as the highest peak. That was right after the Graduate Hotel reopened. Um, they had remodeled after the Sheraton closed, and um, in fiscal year twenty, that was a partial. That was when we saw part of the pandemic um, starting to come in. Fiscal year twenty twenty one, we're currently in. That's our estimate for nearly you know the full year of. Of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and then the projection for fiscal year twenty two is a rebound of that, um, closer to where we where we had been in fiscal year twenty. So, so maybe not as high the peak of nineteen, but certainly um, gaining from our position currently. And we have got our utility franchise. Um, this just greatly fluctuates through um, based on weather a lot of the time. Um, So hot in the summer, people run air conditioning. Cold in the winter, they run uh, the heat and and natural gas. And so therefore, this is going to to pertain to those patterns. Uh, Some communities in the state go all the way up to the allowed 5%. Iowa City has a set utility rate of 1% um, but just showing that there is flexibility there and, and each community has the ability to decide um, what what that utility franchise rate might be. and uh, the chart on the right just identifies what um, kind of where we fall in, in that that mix of how cities are using the, the fee. Cable TV franchise, you see a steady decline. This is as people cut the cord of cable and telephone services in their homes. This is reflective of that. Um, We also have had the the Mediacom uh, franchise go to the the state. And therefore, we're just continuing to see a a decline in our revenue sources here. And from here at this point, we're anticipating that it's going to stay pretty stable to to what we're seeing right now at this level. So about half a million dollars as a revenue here. Our major revenue source, our road use tax. I hit on this earlier. Um, These are the the funds that we use um, To support both our equipment purchases but also our um, road improvements the overlays and and patching budget Um, if you pay attention to kind of how this line progresses it looks like that growth between um, you know 11 sorry i'll start over here in fiscal year 2011, uh, we saw a bump in 2012, we saw a bump from the U.S. Census count. So as our population grows, the allocation the city receives goes up. Um, this, we also received another bump in 2016, or fiscal year 2016, because the state increased the the rate that they have. So, so that accounts for that next jump. And then uh, we're just flat out uncertain what the last census is going to garner for us if we'll see another kind of jump up in the road use tax allocation because of an increased population or not. Um, and, and I think that's that's it. We'll, we've gone from our receipts and, and now we're at about 9 million in, in road use tax. Last thing I'll cover, Uh, Local option sales tax, this is just a reflective chart of how communities in Iowa are using the the lost uh, that they receive um, when they put it into effect and and their estimated receipts. Uh, The city did have for four years after the flood in 2008, we had a lost that was was approved and passed by our community. Um, We received about 8.8 million annually through that period of time. And then of course it expired based on the, the referendum. Uh, the state law now requires us to have at least 50% of our of our lost uh, go to property tax relief. And um, this uh, I'm sure is going to be a continued um, subject matter going potentially going forward. I know that council has included a discussion of this in, in this your strategic plan and um, it it was also included within uh, the city manager's recommendation in the policing uh, preliminary plan as well. So thank you and uh, (coughs) we'll turn it to Rachel, thanks.
2: Okay, Um, so on the expenditure side, so this first slide here is just all spending by category. So that that tall column that you see on on the far right, those business type activities, that makes up a bulk of our spending. That might also be what you know as uh, enterprise funds. So transit, parking, landfill, wastewater, water, those kinds of things. Um, Next to that, you see uh, our our strong capital improvement program is represented. And then on the far left there, uh, public safety is gonna include PD, fire, building inspection, housing inspection, and code enforcement. Then this is a look at expenditures just by general fund. So I talked a little bit about our health insurance costs earlier, in a few slides, I'll talk about our pension contributions. Um, and this just provides a really good visual of how those personnel expenses can really add up. Uh, you see that we are a labor heavy organization and our staff allow us to operate at the service levels we do. So unless we cut staff, if we cut staff, that, that would not uh, allow us to, to provide the level of service that we do. Um, I kind of show that on this slide as well. This is just a year-over-year comparison. And looking at it like this does a pretty good job of uh, illustrating that kind of cautious budgeting approach we took towards fiscal year 22, um, just based on COVID uncertainty. So you can see um, our personnel costs, they they really drive a lot of our expenditures, um, including those things I've talked about that are largely outside of our control. So when we don't have a lot of flexibility there and we're trying to remain status quo, um, you'll see, uh, you begin to see cuts in other areas like uh, our services and a bit in our capital capital spending as well. Uh, so as I promised, this is a look at our uh, public safety pension contributions. So these costs have been increasing over the past 10 years. Um, in 22, we will be paying about a million dollars more than we were in fiscal year 2012. Um, as a reminder, we don't set these rates, we don't set these benefits. So again, this is this is one of those personnel costs that we don't have control over. Um, and then looking on the IPEr side of things, uh, we're seeing a little bit of growth here as well. Um, again, uh, just about a million dollar difference between fiscal year 15 and fiscal year 22. Uh, you see that little jump in FY21. Last year's adopted budget included uh, some new positions, some temporary to permanent conversions. Um, so that, that's part of the reason for that jump there. Going forward, we expect to stabilize uh, around a 3 to 4% annual increase. Uh, as you can see, we project a 3.24% increase for fiscal year 22 Okay, and then I just have three quick slides on our debt service strategy. Um, So the big thing I just wanna point out here is that a lot of what council has been, uh, a lot of council actions, especially some of these uh, one-time significant investments in spending have really been possible through a reduction in our debt service. it's safe to say that our debts, debt strategy has really enabled us to improve our service levels. Um, and these are kind of three, three benchmarks that go into that. So the first here is that under state law, we are not allowed to borrow more than 5% um, more than the amount equal to five percent of our total assessed property value. So that's what we call the statutory debt limit. Um, is what you might hear of it as. And we are currently using um, about 19.3 percent of that debt limit. So we still have plenty of bonding capacity. Um, the second box here just shows that under Iowa City policy, uh, our debt service levy um, should not account for more than 30 percent share of our total city property tax levy. So. Uh, Ashley mentioned earlier, we are recommending another 10 cent drop in our debt service levy for fiscal year 22, and that will put um, our debt service levy's share of the total property tax levy around 15.8 percent. So we really made some improvements there uh, over the past decade. And then this last one here is actually a benchmark set by Moody's for AAA-rated cities. So you can see that their benchmark of net direct debt outstanding is at 0.75%. We don't quite hit that, Uh, we're at 0.96%. But uh, we have been making improvements here as well. This is a lower projection uh, than it has been in recent years. And I do still wanna point out that uh, we are able to attain that AAA rating as I'll talk about on the next few slides. Um, And that's just due in part to our strong fiscal position in some other areas such as uh, our reserve funds and things like that. So this is a look at those Moody ratings. Uh, As a reminder, Moody's is an independent rating agency. So uh, they issue their geo ratings for municipalities based um, on a specific set of criteria. This first uh, slide that you're looking at is a rating of all US cities. And Iowa City, um, you can see falls into that top AAA category. We are one of 247 cities in the United States um, who who attain that rating. Uh, And it's notable to point out that we don't have the typical profile of a city uh, in in that category. Usually they're much higher income, um, little bit more suburban communities. Uh, So so that's something to be proud of there. And then this is that same rating, but just statewide. So we are one of four cities in the state of Iowa to have AAA status. Cedar Falls was actually upgraded just this summer uh, to AAA status, so that's nice to see. And then the other two that join us there is uh, West Des Moines and Clive. So again, a little bit uh, higher income, more suburban-type communities. Um, And the last thing I just want to note here is that this rating is nice, um, but it's not just a recognition. It actually translates to real savings, real dollars that we are able to spend on city services instead of on um, interest payments to the banks. So, that's, uh, it's good to have. And okay. So that I think I'll hand off to Jeff, if we don't have any questions and he will take us down the home stretch. Rachel, just really quick on yep. the bond rating. Um, you just mentioned that that translates to lower interest rates. Are we able to quantify that as far as what, you know, a decline in our rating would mean? Yeah, uh, I don't I don't have a number for that. We we could try to pull something for you and get that to you offline. Yeah, I think it just in terms of how significant it is even, you know, a ballpark would be nice not to spend a lot of time, you know, having to dig into it, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah,
1: definitely. Okay, um, that's definitely something that we can uh, follow up on. Um, As Rachel said, I'm gonna take you through the last uh, final slides here. Uh, I'm gonna start with just looking at our enterprise fund balances and make sure that you know uh, where we stand uh, with some of these uh, different operations. Uh, The first uh, one I wanna highlight um, is the parking fund. And Rachel, if you could advance the slide for me. Uh, the parking fund is at the top of this slide, and and you know this is the area where we've seen the the greatest COVID impact. And what I want to point out here is that estimated fund balance. It's the third column, and uh, right in the middle of the page, 1.2 million. Um, just to let you know, uh, this time last year, that fund balance was 5.8 million. Okay, so. Uh, That's two things really driving that down. Part of it was intentional. You remember that we used that fund balance to retire the debt at the uh, Harrison Street parking deck. And and that helped with the cash flow situation we had. So that's a very positive thing. We no longer have debt um, outstanding uh, on the Harrison Street deck there. but also it's it's a recognition that the, the fund has been operating in the red uh, for, for much of COVID. So um, we do believe we've stabilized things, but, it, but as we emerge from COVID, um, if things remain stable, um, we have much less flexibility in this fund. Uh, we're at 18 percent of um, balance there. Um, and that's challenging, not just for parking, but as you know, we, uh, we had um, sites on perhaps using some parking dollars to support our transit operations. And when we lose that type of flexibility, uh, that decision becomes much more risky uh, going forward. The second area I wanna talk about is right below there, it's the transit uh, fund, and we're gonna spend some time uh, here in a couple of slides talking about uh, our transit fund. Um, particularly as we look to expand services. So our, our transit operations are still operating with about 30 to 40% of the ridership that we would normally see, so there's definitely still a major COVID impact, and that, uh, that uh, uh, definitely uh, strains our, our uh, financial situation however on the flip side um, there was a cares act allocation to transit agencies so uh, we did get a nice injection of cares act dollars there and have been able to maintain a a pretty high fund balance here you see the estimated fund balance of 10.5 million we have a little over 5 million of that reserved um, or or restricted and that's really set aside to be be a a match uh, for um, a federal grant uh, that could come up uh, for a new facility, so we really don't want to uh, don't don't want to um, use those dollars. We want to make sure that we have those to take advantage of, of that grant opportunity. Um, but we do have an unassigned fund balance of 5.4 million, which which is kind of the where, where we have some flexibility. So as we look at expanded services, one of the things I want to talk to you all about is uh, perhaps using some of that balance for for a pilot program. Um, as opposed to developing new revenue sources right now to support uh, other transit operations. And we'll get into that in a little bit. The last one I wanna point out here is our refuse operation, which is the third green highlight in the middle of the page. Uh, Just a note here that that we are operating at a deficit right now in our refuse collection. Um, And um, I think in normal years, we may have suggested a rate increase here. As Ashley mentioned early on, we really tried to hold off on rate increases uh, given the stress for, for households right now. So this is one that we'll probably look at a rate increase next year on our either refuse recycling or yard waste uh, funds um, just to try to, to, to stabilize that a little bit. We're okay, it's, it's a small deficit and we have some, some fund balance where so we don't need to do it this year, but council should expect that that'll come back next year. Um, Moving uh, forward, we have uh, the property tax input and Mayor Pro Tem, this is the slide that will address the question that you have. We use a $100,000 valuation, just because it's easy to to multiply that impact. So um, if you had a a assessed, your home is assessed at $100,000, that's the value that's been assigned to it. Um, The next one will show you what the taxable change is. And if you remember back, uh, Rachel talking about that rollback figure and had that chart where the number kind of fluctuated up and down. Um, Last year, that number was about 55%. So you see the taxable valuation of $55,000. This year, that went up a little bit. So even though your home value hasn't changed, you're going to pay a little bit more taxes on that home. and That's the $56,409. From there, you take the city tax levy uh, to determine the actual property taxes that you will pay. And you can see that we'll have a rate decrease as we have proposed. And so if you had that $100,000 home, the difference is $15 and more taxes you will pay. So even though our rate's going down, you'll still pay more taxes. So that $300,000 home that you asked about before um, would be a $45 uh, increase uh, in property taxes.
4: My question will be, if we decrease it, it will be like that, and if we leave it alone, what's going to happen? More also?
1: Yeah. So if, if the rate stayed the same at that fifteen point uh, seven seven three, that fifteen dollars is is going to increase, and, and we can, we we can, uh, Dennis, if you have a calculator, you can probably give us that number right now. Um, but it, yeah, that would in uh, increase, so that drop of ten cents is definitely helping keeping that number down despite the taxable growth. So
5: yeah, I, would so add, I, I would have the same question as Bayer pro as so what what would the what would the rate be if we
4: don't decrease the rate or what would the, the amount be if we don't decrease the rate? yeah, use the same example for like symbols like one hundred
1: same example,
0: yeah. What I'll do is I'll, I'll run a quick calculation for you and then I'll then I'll jump back in and, and let you know what that is. Okay.
1: Thanks, Dennis. Yeah. So we'll revisit that. You can move to the next slide. And, and then this one takes not just property taxes, but all those utilities into account, too. So um, if you look at that far slide, you can see that we're estimating a 1.8 percent increase in, in kind of the cost of your government, so to speak. and. You see that that top line is the red, is the property taxes. And so that's that's where you see the $15, uh, okay? So you'd have to multiply that for every $100,000 of, of assessed value you have. And then um, we are factoring in the water rate increase. So even though we're not, um, this is just the delayed water in, uh, rate increase that we expected to, to have happened last year, that's about a $20 increase. So overall it's $35 uh, to your household. Uh, again, with that hundred thousand dollar property valuation, uh, that breaks down to you know just about three dollars uh, per month uh, cost increase there. And then we'll keep moving forward, and Dennis will jump back in when when he's ready. Um, I want to talk about reserves. Um, you know, one of the big focuses we had. Uh, after the flood uh, recovery period, and then uh, heading into property tax reform, was was building an emergency reserve fund, and we're really happy to see that fund balance at 5.2 million. We've used it a few times here and there for property acquisitions so far, um, buying properties out of the floodplain, uh, but largely this is this has been unused. And you can see the bullet points there that give council uh, some flexibility in, in how you use this emergency reserve. You really have the ability to um, to tap into that for any emergency that, that you see fit. And then Ashley t- touched on the, the $9 million fund balance for our facility reserve, and we're really, really proud of that. Um, but uh, as she mentioned, uh, $9 million doesn't cover uh, very much when you're talking about the, the level of facility improvements that we need. Um, she mentioned the new transit facility at, at $9 million. You know, Your new fire station uh, is gonna be uh, probably 4 to five. You know, million in that range by the time we uh, get to get get in a position to, to build those. So um, this is a great uh, a, a great balance to have, but um, we'll need to continue to be focused to build that if we want to invest in in this kind of next generation of of, of uh, facilities for the government. And again, a lot of the reason we do this is because there's limitations on bonding. Um, we cannot go out and just borrow twenty million dollars for a new equipment. Uh, building, we'd have to go to referendum and ask for voter support, and as you know, that would be very difficult for the types of facilities that that we need uh, to see improved here at the city. See Dennis, ready to go?
0: Uh, yeah. So just running a quick calc on that. Um, so it would add about another five and a half dollars to the to a hundred thousand dollar home.
1: Okay. So that that fifteen goes to about twenty dollars and fifty cents.
0: Yeah, Yes,
1: okay.
4: You mean by reducing uh, the tax levy by 10 cent, a homeowner who have a house that value $100, he will see deductions in his bill of $5? Correct. Uh, Is this $5 per year or per month? It it would be over a year. For the whole year, I will see $5 deduction. And in the same time, if we don't do it, the city will receive 500,000, if I'm calculating that right. Correct. Okay, a resident, yes, I want the council to know that. The residents and also the public, if we reduce the tax for a person whose value, how is his value, 100,000, he will see $5.00. A year reduction, and if we don't do anything, the city will receive five a million dollar in revenue.
1: Yeah. Any other questions on that? Okay. Um, I wanted to to talk about COVID relief a little bit. Um, uh, you know, one of the things we're really really proud of is. You know, this year we've been able to have we've been able to launch over two million dollars in recovery programs. A lot of this is through CARES Act funds that that filtered through the feds and the states desk, but that also includes some some local funds. That's a lot, and we should be we should be proud of that. I know I'm proud of the staff that's that's had to pull those new programs together and administer and, and, and all the um, social service agencies that helped us uh, distribute those funds. Um, but we also need to realize that we don't know what additional support may be needed, um, in our community as, as we continue to recover. And we don't really know at this point, what additional support will come from the federal and state government. So, um, this is just more of a reminder than anything that we do have some flexibility, um, to, to offer, uh, recovery and relief, uh, funds to the community. Um, I think we need to, uh, wait and see how, how these, uh, the recently approved uh, federal legislation kind of filters down to, to our community. Uh, but the council should keep this in mind going forward and, and know that uh, uh, you do have that ability to, to accelerate our recovery uh, should you uh, see fit to do so. Uh, Transit again, uh, we are moving forward with the um, launch of the new transit system for this summer. Uh, You have requested some uh, additional information on service enhancements, particularly Sunday service and expanded late night hours, and we are uh, uh, actively working to pull those together. Um, You saw some of those cost numbers in the transit plan. Those are expensive services to offer, so we need to work with you on how you want to fund that. Uh, listed below are some of the options that we previously uh, talked about in terms of how, how you would fund transit expansion. Our, our property tax uh, levy for transit is fully maxed, so we cannot, we cannot increase the, the property tax levy for transit, um, but you could certainly divert funds uh, that are property tax supported right now. Uh, to do that. You also have utility taxes, uh, a local option sales tax, and we previously had talked about parking fees, and, and you understand the, the challenge with that uh, in the current environment. Um, I, I tend to um, believe and would, would push you to, to, to considering a one- or two-year pilot program using some of that fund balanced in the transit fund before you um, permanently uh, raise a, um, a new tax or fee um i think uh, we have that fund balance we could run a good 12 18 even 24 month pilot program on sunday service expanded late night hours and and then you know in a year year and a half hopefully there's some more clarity uh uh, surrounding the, the COVID recovery and the council could use the data from that pilot program to make decisions on whether to keep those uh, services in place and if so, how, how best to fund them on a permanent, uh, basis. Uh, roadway maintenance, uh, we're excited, uh, uh, hopefully very soon, uh, depending on your work set, uh, session schedule to be able to, um, present to you the pavement management program, uh, plan that is, uh, that is complete. Um, the, uh, a little preview of that plan, it does show that um, our road condition stacks up very well with our peer communities across the state. We have the third highest pavement rating uh, amongst comparable large communities in Iowa. Um, and that's all uh, data driven uh, based on uh, road surface information that's collected at a statewide level. Um, and and w- while that's a good thing, we still know that our our roads are in in great need of repair um, and uh, uh, what the study shows is that our current funding allocation uh, for for roadway maintenance will not allow us to sustain um, our our current overall pavement condition that at the at a current level of investment we're going to see the roads continue uh, to deteriorate so We obviously wanna get ahead of that and we'll need to talk to council about the best ways to to increase funding for roadway maintenance. And uh, again, should be ready for that discussion uh, here in the next 30 days, depending on your work session schedule. The local option sales tax, I don't think I need to spend any more time on this. It is identified in your strategic plan. Um, I do suggest that you give this um, strong consideration. Uh, clearly, a very important aspect of this is how you spend those dollars, and there's been conversations from nonprofit support to uh, public infrastructure, transit, and, and as uh, Ashley mentioned, the state law now requires 50% of those funds to go to property tax relief. Uh, but, but clearly, these funds can have a significant impact on the community. We saw that with just the four-year uh, loss that we had. Um, and uh, we would encourage the council to reserve some time in the upcoming months to, to have a discussion and, and make a, a go or no go decision uh, on, on whether to present this to the voters or not. Um, last slide is just a kind of a, a preview of what we see next year. Again, this was a, a very much status quo budget, uh, really trying to get back to just where we were a year ago. Um, I'm very concerned about the taxable value growth, and 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 you saw that 80 million dollars in development this year. Um, I hope that's a one-time blip, and we can we can recover. But uh, if we have a couple of years at that level, we're not going to see that taxable value growth, and the council is going to lose a lot of flexibility um, in supporting some of the things that you've done. You know, without the taxable value, without the taxable value growth we had over the last 10 years it would have been extremely difficult to do the affordable housing investment that we've done to increase aid to agencies, to um, invest in the GuideLink center at the level that we did. All that flexibility is because our taxable value was growing and our operations were staying status quo, right? We, We didn't invest heavily in staff in the last 10 years, but we had invested heavily in these other programs. And as soon as that rate, starts to drop, as, as Rachel was pointing out, those personnel expenses are there. You know, we, we're gonna eat up two to three, four percent per year just on personnel expenses. So if we're not growing more than that, you're gonna lose a little bit of your flexibility that, that, that we've enjoyed the last few years. We do expect stable tax rates. We expect stable utility rates. Um, uh, there'll be a minor increase here and there, but our our enterprise funds are pretty good right now they're pretty strong, so you, you don't have to um, worry about major water rate increases or major sewer rate increases at this time. and then you know we're going to continue to invest in the things that the council um, holds uh, holds the highest in your strategic plan, which is affordable housing, social justice, and racial equity. we're going to invest in those master plans that you've adopted and endorsed um, just as we have these, fat, these past few years. So with that, we'll end our presentation uh, and uh, field any questions before getting into department budgets.
0: Sounds like we're ready to move on. Thank you, all staff. Uh,